The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight's week six of our fall course on the study of karma, leading into the winter course, which is the study of codependent arising, which is sort of a more refined, right? Because the karma, the cause and effect we're studying this fall is really in a more ordinary sense. Like an ordinary human being wondering, how does it work? Why am I suffering? You know, what did I... What did I do wrong? Or what am I doing right? So um, then in the winter, we're looking at um, this more refined sense, like how is it in this conditional, this lawful realm that we're in, how is it that the sense of being a suffering person arises? And how is it that the sense of being a suffering human being ceases, right? So that karma, that cause and effect. Because everything, right, is conditional. So even the sense of me as a burdened human being, that is a conditional arising. And that's really the issue or the spiritual issue that the codependent arising addresses. It's the Buddha's more refined teaching on karma. So we'll get to that in the winter. But for the last two weeks, so tonight um, we'll continue our discussion about sort of the relationship between karma and morality and how we are in our relationships. We'll help small groups at the end of the evening. Next week we'll talk about the Buddhist teachings on karma and rebirth. And there's a lot of, I don't know the right word, controversy, misunderstanding, uncertainty too, I think in terms of, because uh, the culture that the Buddha was born into had a lot to say, even you know, before the time of the Buddha, about rebirth, reincarnation. And so, uh, inevitably, it gets woven into the Buddhist tradition. And it's just interesting for us, unfortunately, we have to figure out imperfectly what of those you know, understandings are necessary in terms of becoming a happier, freer, wiser, kinder human being, and what can just be left on the sideline? Who knows? Like, who knows? That, those questions about rebirth in particular. And also we'll cover next week some of those more, you know, I would call them, not in a derogatory way, but just simplistic, like, oh, you did that, then this is going to happen in your next birth. You know, you'll be rich in your next birth, or you'll be poor, or you'll be beautiful, or you'll be ugly because you did this. So kind of a very deterministic or linear, you know, you do A, you get A then, or you get the opposite then, or something like that. So we'll talk about that next week. And then week eight, we'll look at karma and freedom, which will be sort of a a window into the winter course um, about how being a good student of karma, cause and effect, intention matters, leads to liberating insight. So that's week eight. This week, though, for the 25 minutes or so before we break into small groups, 
um, I'd like to talk a little bit about, and maybe people have some response to, but I'd like to say a little bit more about karma and morality and this importance of intention. And I was listening to a talk today, and this person quoted Bhikkhu Bodhi, and he has this great, some maybe a definition almost of karma, how to understand karma. So here it goes. The capacity of our intentional actions, right? Intentional actions is just the, the most direct, simple definition of karma. Karma, the word karma is action. And then in a Buddhist context, in the context of the Buddhist teachings, we're talking about intentional action or action with intention. So the mind is invested in the action. Right? There's a somebody wanting to think this thought, wanting to say these words, wanting to do this deed. So action with intention. The capacity of our intentional actions to bring about an ethically appropriate result. So this is on this mundane, ordinary level that we've been talking about karma this fall. The capacity of our intentional actions, what we're doing in the world, to bring about um, an ethically appropriate result. And this may seem like, what? (laughs) But I think it's really important because Normally, what we're trying to do with our intentional actions is not bring bring about an ethically appropriate result. Normally, what we're doing with our intentional actions is, I want utopia. I want to be healthy. I want people to like me. I want to be in a safe place, you know, and a few other things, right? So we're acting with our thoughts, our words, and our actions because we want a nice situation, nice condition, circumstances, right? But now, because we've been studying our lives, our minds, and the Buddhist teachings, we realize that uh, there's a lot of emotion, and we're not in control of that a lot of emotion, right? It's like, this is the thing. If the tsunami hits us, you know, this sort of stupid understanding of karma is, well, what did I do in the past life to deserve to be swept away by a tsunami or here, more tornado or whatever, right? Any kind of bad thing. What did I do? But there's a lot of emotion. It's it's like amazing arrogance to think that like my bad action caused that tsunami, or that cause you know the social political forces to show up in this way. Right? So there's, as the Buddha says in the in the tradition, to somehow feel like we're going to figure out cause and effect in that kind of linear way, he calls it one of the three imponderables. Right? Meaning, and and I think he, it's this part of this text that you know, and you'll go crazy if you try to figure it out. If you try to figure out what the mind of an awakened awakened person is, can't do it. Or the uh, nth degree of a concentrated mind and what that's like, can't conceive it, right? Or the fruits of karma. The roots of karma, the fruits of karma, can't be figured out, which is kind of nice. So then we stop. 
It's enough to know that things are lawful. It's enough to know that how I'm relating right now matters. And we don't need a kind of a high-powered philosophical text to convince us that how we're relating right now matters because we feel it. You know, when I'm relating with anger and then there's some mindfulness, I'll feel, I'll see directly the effect of that attitude in the mind. And when I'm relating with a wholesome attitude, I'll notice the lightness, the absence of you know, heavy reverberation in my heart if I'm relating with kindness or with wholesome states. So in this way, morality, and I think I mentioned this last week when we, we started on this particular subtopic in karma around sila, morality, integrity, ethical conduct, and karma, the relationship between the two teachings, that in the Buddhist system, the way the Buddha taught, the, the sort of root of morality, right and wrong, doesn't exist in some external force like Santa Claus or God or you know, somebody who's keeping score. The reality of morality is right here. We know what's right and wrong. It doesn't mean we were sensitive enough to notice a lot of the time because we'd be much better people if we were sensitive enough to notice whether our words have a sort of a subtle coloring of aversion. I mean, how many times, I mean, just to be honest, I'm not proud of it, how many times have my words to my partner had a little flavor of attacking or critical kind of criticism, you know? Or how many times have my words sort of had a little been tainted with like, please see me, please acknowledge me, please like me, you know, that greed a lot of the time. In that, you know, and that's often in hindsight, And the thing is, it's not like I'm trying to be good. It's just we're really actually trying to take care of ourselves because it hurts. Even if we're not aware, even if our, you know, awareness is rather superficial, so we're not feeling the karmic fruits of our subtle greed, subtle aversion, subtle distraction, disconnection, doesn't mean that the impressions aren't being laid down. So because there's so much emotion, our intentional actions, um, they're not going to bring about utopia. But what we can do by studying our intentional actions, what intention, what impressions, intention, intentional actions of thought, words, and deeds, what that lays down, sets in motion, we can expect with real integrity, real perseverance, real sensitivity. Uh, And what uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi says here, an ethically appropriate result. We can, we don't know, we still may get hit by the tsunami. We still may end up losing our retirement when the stock market crashes, right? We might get cancer, whatever. All kinds of things can happen but our heart will feel good because we'll have that eth- we have been stringing together ethically appropriate 
actions, right? Like we feel good about our lives. We feel like we've actually did the right thing, did the best we could. And this is what we can definitely do. We can't avoid the tsunamis. We can't avoid disease necessarily. We can't avoid financial ruin, aging process. There's so much emotion that is in the realm of who knows, right? It's just like it may be lawful, but it doesn't mean we can figure it out and know like where to live to avoid the tornado and where to live to avoid the financial you know, depressions, recessions, or whatever. But one thing we can absolutely do is we can plant seeds that lead to uh, this heart, this what in Buddhism we call the bliss of blamelessness, freedom from regret, right? That good taste of that in Buddhism sometimes they call it a scent, like a smell scent that reaches all the way to the Brahma realms, the highest, most refined realms of being. You know, if you buy into Buddhist cosmology, it's a nice story. Beings of, you know, pure love, like really refined beings. Even more refined than sort of like the controller gods in the Buddhist realms. Some of you know Ajahn Punadamo, he's coming next weekend. I recommend, he's going to talk on Friday night on the not-self characteristic and then do a workshop on Saturdays. Still space, and you're welcome to join us for lunch uh, we feed, uh, because he's a Buddhist monk, we feed him at 11 on Saturday, and then we'll probably have Q&A after that. So even if you can't come to the whole workshop on Saturday, 9.30 to 4, feel free to come from 11 to 1, bring some food. We offer the food to Ajahn, and then we eat like a potluck style with the other people who are there. Um, so you can come for that if you can't. But anyway, Ajahn Punadamo, he's a Canadian Buddhist monk, he just finished his... I think it's like 500 pages on Buddhist cosmology, the different realms of existence. It's just like a a very beautiful metaphor and some, especially ethnically, uh, uh, ethnic Buddhists, they think it's a literal truth, you know, about the universe, these different realms of existence, all the hell realms, all the heavenly realms. And so there's, in these, you know, very elaborate realms of existence, humans are about one-third from the bottom. (laughs) Below us are the animals and the hungry ghosts and the hell realms. And then there are all these other more refined, beautiful realms above us, angelic realms and nature spirits. And and then way, way, then there's sort of like the ruler gods, sort of like what we might, like the Old Testament kind of god. And then above that are the sort of like, if you're really good at uh, loving kindness, then you might be reborn in one of the Brahma realms where you're just pure love for eons, many cycles of world contraction, you know, big bangs and contractions and big bangs. So you're there for pure love for a long, long time, but you still get reborn out of it because your work isn't done. You're still in the cycle of birth and death, even when you're in those really refined realms. That's the metaphor. That's the story. It's actually, I find a very useful teaching, but if you cling to it as literal truth, because the reality is we don't know. We don't know. I mean, barely know what's going on around us. (laughs) So it's nice to have the who knows around these things. 
but it's useful to kind of have that uh, because one of the things I wanted to share before we break into small groups tonight is how much immunity we get with something like loving kindness. So I sent out, um, it was just a photograph that I made, these unwholesome and wholesome, right? So killing living beings, taking what's not given, sexual misconduct, false speech, malicious speech, harsh speech, gossip, covetousness, ill will, wrong view. So these are unskillful actions, unskillful words, and unskillful attitudes. And there are ten, right? So the last three are attitudes, covetousness, ill will, and wrong view. The speech, false speech, malicious speech, harsh speech, speech, and gossip. And then actions, killing, taking what's not given, and uh, sexual conduct that causes harm. So in this, like when we do our moral inventory and we, you know, just sort of move through that, it's sort of like sensing, can we do those things without leaving an impression in our heart? What impression gets left? And what does it feel like when we're inclined to take something that's not ours, but we refrain from it? Or we're inclined to gossip, but it doesn't feel right, so we refrain from it. Because we really want to develop a taste for refraining, restraint, as a like a moral force that leaves a good taste. Oh, I'm so glad I didn't do that. So this is some of the things you can share in your small group. You know, moments of taking the bait and doing one of those ten unwholesome things and then realizing what got laid down because of it. And then other examples of restraint. Like you could have, but the mind, there's enough wisdom, enough sense, appropriate fear, you could even say, ooh, I don't want to do that. And the image the Buddha uses is very interesting. You know, just to kind of have this sink in, he says, this is from the Middle Link Discourses, number 15, a person ought to infer, infer, infer about themselves in the following ways. A person with unwholesome states is displeasing and disagreeable to me. If I were to have unwholesome states, I would be displeasing and disagreeable to others. Right? So, this is basically the Buddha is telling you what to do when you run into people who are uh, caught up in unwholesome states. Instead of hating them or wanting to get rid of them, you contemplate, hmm, it's really difficult being around this person with unwholesome states. Huh. It's probably really difficult for other people to be around me when I'm in unwholesome states. Huh. I think I'll avoid those. Right? Just making that, that connection. Reading the law of karma or comprehending the law of karma. And then the second one, a person who knows that having unwholesome states would be displeasing and disagreeable to others should arouse in their mind thus, I shall not have unwholesome states, right? So we make that result, like I don't want to be that person. And then the next, a person should review themselves thus, do I have unwholesome states? If when 
one reviews oneself, one knows, I do have unwholesome states, then one should make an effort to abandon those unwholesome states, right? So we see that. We see somebody who's like acting out in a way we think is really unskillful. We realize it's really hard to be around them. I don't want to be that person. We check, am I that person? If I am that person, what can I do to abandon it, right? We, it's basically like once we start reading the way it is, understanding things in terms of cause and effect, then we, out of integrity, we sort of try to live up to what we're understanding. Oh, yeah, being a greedy person is not good. I don't want to be that greedy person. And then the last, a person should review oneself thus. Do I have unwholesome states? If and when one reviews oneself, one knows I do not have unwholesome states, then one can abide happy and glad, training day and night in wholesome states. So we also want to notice like, no, I'm not like that. I'm acting, I'm coming out, the sort of view, the attitudes, the actions are really wholesome. We should notice that. Oh yeah, that that feels good. It's not about pride in our kind of usual sense of that word. It's just that good feeling of integrity. I mention this sometimes just because it's sort of a provocative thing to say, but, you know, uh, after both when my mom died and then my dad died second, uh, about a year and a half later, and there was just a very interesting feeling of that kind of integrity because, you know, it's hard for the family. You know, I've come from a big family right in the middle of a big number of brothers and sisters and taking care of our parents, helping them in those later years. And my mom had Alzheimer's for over 10 years. And, you know, it's just always difficult these last years of our parents. And, uh, but there was that very distinct feeling of, I am so glad that I, and I felt that way for my other siblings, I am so glad that we handled this as well as we did. Not that we handled it perfectly, but, you know, it's so easy and that whole thing of sticking with it, making decisions, and even like taking care of the house and all that stuff that happens after my father died and deciding what to do with the ashes and all that kind of stuff. And just that feeling like having dodged a lot of suffering. You know, this could have been messy, a lot, lot messier. And it wasn't that messy. And I'm so grateful. That bliss of blamelessness, it was so distinct at that time. And then he ends by saying, just as when a person, young, youthful, fond of ornaments, on viewing the image of their face in a clear, bright mirror or in a basin of clear water, sees a smudge or a blemish on the face, one makes an effort to remove it. But if one sees no smudge or blemish on it, one becomes glad thus. It is a gain for me that my face is clean. So too, when a person reviews oneself, they can abide happy and glad, training day and night in wholesome states. Right? And the Buddha, in another uh, talk that I'll be sharing during the weekly practice groups in the next couple of weeks, the Buddha's discourse on removing distracting 
distracting thoughts. One of the strategies he uses when our mindfulness isn't strong enough, just seeing the distraction to sort of pop that distracted state, the bubble of that distracted mind. Further along, like if nothing's working, one thing you can do is practice being, just as sort of my paraphrase, practice being disgusted by what your mind is doing, by what your mind is, you know, festering with or spinning with. Like, oh yeah, this is what you're doing. This is what's getting set in motion. You keep doing this. This is who you'll become, right? If this becomes the habit, the inclination of the mind, then the habit, then the character, then you become this person. Honey, is that who you want to become? And the Buddha uses a really disgusting image. He says it's just as if somebody who really cares about how they look finds that they have a garland of rotting flesh around their head. Oh, this is not, this is not what I want. This is not the direction I want to go, right? So there's, there's, sometimes we need to bring out uh, more psychically uh, or interventions that require a bigger psychic investment, right? But we don't need that when we don't need it, like when just there's enough clarity, enough wisdom in the mind, and we just see, I think, did I mention about the different kind of horses pulling a chariot? You know, some horses are just not so wise, and the charioteer has to really beat them to get them to do what the charioteer wants them to do. Sometimes life has to really beat us up before we change our actions, right? And we see that sometimes in our own lives, sometimes in those lives around us. It's like, oh my God, when, are, when is that person or when is this person going to learn? How many times am I going to repeat this before I get it? But other times it's like I'm just in the vicinity of doing something stupid, not, in, not anywhere close, but I don't even want to get close to making a mistake. It's not about, I mean, it could be about being tight, but it's not even about being tight. It's just about understanding the law of cause and effect. Like, why would I set this in motion if I'm not at all interested in where that takes me? Why? Why play with fire? Unless you want to get burnt. Do you like getting burnt? No, I don't like getting burnt. So I don't think I'm going to play with fire. I'm going to go play with some cool water, you know, because we kind of like playing with fire because we're noticing the excitement of playing with fire without sensing what's getting set in motion, what's going from like something we're doing to a deeper inclination in the mind, to a habit, to an established, almost unmovable character, right? Like, because you know, I don't know if some of you aren't my age yet, but the older we get, our personality habits, they get entrenched. They get ossified as we're getting older. It's harder to change something that I've been, you've been doing, I've been doing for six decades than it is to change something that I've only been doing for one decade. So again, for the small groups tonight, um, yeah, just reflecting about uh, being a moral being, 
actions matter, words matter, even our thoughts matter. And uh, just that wholesome force of restraint. And in particular, it would be nice in the small groups to share examples of the flavor of that bliss of blamelessness, like when you feel like you've acted skillfully, not perfectly, but relatively skillfully, that because of the inclinations in our heart, I could have taken other roads, done other actions, but I didn't, and I'm really grateful that I didn't. And that that sort of wisdom of knowing that I dodged some difficult uh, results by refraining, by taking another direction, that sort of lives on as a kind of internal confidence. You could even, in sort of more Western terms, self-esteem, self-confidence, confident in the wisdom or the goodness in my heart, like my heart seems to know the difference between what's wise and what's unwise, and I'm really grateful for that. Because we see other people and ourselves at times where we don't know the difference and we learn the hard way. And it can be really helpful. I'll just share one last thing before we break into groups because it's really helpful to hear this from other people. One of the things that helps us steer, navigate our lives is being around people who are really good at navigating their lives. And one of the things that really hurts or gets in the way of navigating our lives, being around people who aren't very good at navigating these moral choices in their lives. So if you've had wise friends in in terms of this area of integrity, ethical conduct, morality, you should be really grateful because it's easy to do stupid things when we're around people doing stupid things. And it's hard to do stupid things when we're around people who know better because their clarity and their sort of expression of the um, ease that comes with their skillful navigation, avoiding unskillful things, is it sort of stands as a beacon. It's almost like we're borrowing their hiri otapa, right? That wholesome regret, wholesome concern, it's like, oh yeah, like they're sort of seeing, they see the writing on the wall because their mind is good at this, right? Good at seeing cause and effect, whether it's in themselves or in others. They see what's getting set in motion. And then we sense what they're seeing without having the sensitivity or the clarity in that moment. And they may, because they're a good friend, might actually have to say something, but there's some real uh, value in being around skillful people. And so this is another thing you can share in your small groups. There are times when we were swept along with the crowd and then suffered the consequences. And times we were swept along with the the wise crowd, you know, and avoided a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering because we didn't do the stupid things we might have otherwise done. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.